Welcome to Innovation Hub. I'm Kara Miller. When she was a kid, Kellyanne Fitzpatrick was driven to a degree that was both impressive and kind of tiring. Everyone who knew her knew that. And one day, the whole country would know. But when Fitzpatrick was growing up, she didn't have a whole lot. She was the only child of a single mom who worked as a cashier in a nearby New Jersey casino. During the summer, Fitzpatrick picked blueberries. She was shockingly fast. And when she was 16, she won the New Jersey Blueberry Princess pageant. Then a college year abroad in England helped to shape Kellyanne Fitzpatrick into a person who arguably has profoundly changed America. At Oxford, she met a man working on his doctorate. He was in love with politics and public opinion and understanding where those two things intersected. The man was named Frank Luntz, and he went on to work as a pollster for high-profile candidates in the 1990s, like Republican Pat Buchanan and independent Ross Perot. Luntz also hired Fitzpatrick before she started her own company. Ultimately, her specialty became understanding women and their views. Big companies like Hasbro and American Express hired her. She wrote books. She became a fixture on TV. And like many other pollsters, she came to understand the unique power of polling. Here is fellow pollster Courtney Kennedy, who heads up survey research at the Pew Research Center. The poll is really the only tool that's designed to give everybody in the country an equal voice. And so it's, it's a really unique you know, window into society in that respect. Kennedy articulates a truth that pollsters have known for a long time, starting perhaps with George Gallup, who rightly predicted that Franklin Roosevelt would defeat Alf Landon in 1936. Kennedy says there are lots of voices that get amplified by money and activism, but polling aims to get a much broader look at our country. Kellyanne Fitzpatrick has always understood that, though I should say she now goes by her married name, Conway. Kellyanne Conway's role as candidate Donald Trump's advisor began in 2016, after Senator Ted Cruz, who she had initially worked for, dropped out of the race. And Conway's understanding of public opinion, her reading of private polls, and her sense of what states might have been closer than previously imagined, they proved invaluable to her boss. Today, we're going to take a look at how the science of polling has changed and what the polls tell us about what's going to happen in the fall of 2018. That science is well understood by a few people, but it is rarely discussed with the public. In fact, because of the growth of cell phones and the trickiness of actually getting Americans to take a poll, Courtney Kennedy from Pew says many people think polling is less accurate now than it used to be. Not from her perspective. Cell phones were super effective in solving some really critical problems we were running into with landlines in the late 1990s and early 2000s. We were really running into problems reaching young adults, reaching non-whites. Well, guess who we get on cell phones? We do phenomenal. I mean, relatively speaking, sort of if you look at how many do we get in our poll and how many are, are in the population, right? We do really well uh, reaching some of those harder groups with cell phones. Fred Yang is a Democratic pollster who does both the kind of private polls that Kellyanne Conway did as a Republican pollster, and he also helps with the NBC Wall Street Journal polls, along with a Republican counterpart. Yang is a partner at Peter D. Hart Research Associates, and he says another gap in understanding between pollsters and the public centers around the last presidential election. I do remember after the 2016 election, there, there was a, a lot of um, hand-wringing 
in general about um, the death of polling and could people ever trust pollsters um, again, even though ironically the national polling was fairly accurate in, in, in guessing the, the Clinton-Trump margin. Uh, and you know, we're in this weird sort of Orwellian world where people said the polls were wrong and actually the national polls were right except we don't elect our presidents um, on a national popular vote. We elect them by electoral college. So while lots of polls predicted the national vote pretty darn well, high-quality state polls were harder to come by. And pollsters' predictions about who was actually going to show up at the polls was a little bit off, an issue that will once again surface when we're trying to figure out whether Democrats can pry control of Congress away from Republicans. Here's Fred Yang again. When we are doing our polls, whether it's over the telephone or online or whatnot, we're looking for a certain um, group of people. If you don't fit that criteria, um, you don't, we, we, we terminate you. In a nice way, of course. Okay. We say, um, let's move on. <laughs> right? Okay. So, for example, in the 2018 elections, because turnout in midterm elections um, is less robust during presidential elections, we are going to already self-select some people out. There are a lot of mm-hmm. states um, and congressional districts in the country that have very up-to-date and accurate voter files. So if we know that Fred Yang votes in, he voted in 2016 and 2012, but Fred okay. Yang didn't vote in 2014 and 2010, and we're mm-hmm. polling for 2018 election, it's not yeah. likely we would include Fred right. Yang in the first place. Now, by the way, right. this guy just doesn't he doesn't exactly. show up for midterms. Because that's based yeah. um, obviously Kara, not on my present behavior, on my past behavior. Now, what right. messed up some of the election polling in 2016 is there were some Fred Yangs who hadn't voted who actually decided to vote. Those folks who maybe hadn't voted much but decided to vote in 2016, according to Courtney Kennedy, tended to be non-college-educated white voters who supported Trump in huge numbers, but who were somewhat underrepresented in polls. Now, as we head into 2018, there's been lots of chatter that the enthusiasm gap is on the other foot, favoring Democrats. Kennedy says, be careful, it's a little more complicated than that. Whereas, you know, several months ago, there were signals from special elections and polling that it, um, you know, it might be a strong wave. That's increasingly less clear, right, where you might have had the polling average at uh, about a 10-point Democratic margin in a generic House race. That's now looking at, you know, about a five-point margin or even less than that. So there's signs that that's tightening up. And when you say the generic, you mean like people are like, in general, you know, by 10 points, they're like, yeah, I'd vote for a Democrat over a Republican, not like a specific person, but I like Democrats a little bit better. No, I should should have clarified that, right? So uh, at Pew Research Center, we do national polls, and it's, it's really too tedious to figure out, you know, across the country, what is the exact... Um, race. What are the two candidates in this fall? We don't even know that in many cases yet, which candidates are going to be on the ballot. So it's a generic question of in the, you know, House of U.S. House race in your district this Mm -hmm. fall, um, you know, do you tend to favor the Democratic candidate or the Republican, that kind of question. So it's generic because we're, we're taking out the specific candidate names and just getting, you know, that party read at this point. Okay, and you're saying you've seen it shift like you thought a big, big Democratic wave maybe was coming and maybe now not so you're not so convinced of that. Well, that's that's what the polling averages have been showing recently. Absolutely. Okay. Um, so I wonder what you make of two 
historical sort of competing forces in polling uh, during midterm elections. Generally, you've got the president's party, which loses seats during a midterm. Um, But also generally, turnout is lower, and it's often whiter and older, which would tend to favor Republicans. How do you kind of reconcile this wave theory with the reality of who actually turns out to vote? I agree there's some evidence to that in, in the historical record, but frankly, the size of that, you know, Republican demographic midterm advantage, I think, is not as large, frankly, as a lot of people think it is. I mean, it makes okay. sense, the narrative of the older, maybe more Caucasian voters being having higher propensity to be those midterm voters. Some truth to that. But I mm-hmm. think it easily gets uh, overstated. And I think one thing that we learned in 2016 is that there's a lot of this sort of, um, you know, political science, pollster, wisdom, rules of thumb that that we think work and are pretty robust as as helping us um, predict what's going to happen in elections. And frankly, those rules are not always as useful and as reliable as as we want them to be. And in 2016, we saw painfully that that can lead people trying to understand the dynamics of the election astray. However, just to go back to the issue of older voters, let's say, versus younger voters, Pew recently did a poll showing that young people, this is a quote, young people are far less likely than older adults to follow news about the midterms. Now, in some ways, that's counter to the narrative we've heard because we've heard, oh, this is a year, unlike other years, when people under 30 are very energized. But it also reinforces the old idea, which is that people under 30 are not that energized to vote in in midterm elections. That's right. It's a reality check, right? I mean, there's a lot of media stories and, um, you know, the the gun debate, for example, that's been a media um, right. story that where a lot of those images, right, are of young people and protest marches. A lot of the visuals are of young people. So it's easy to get a sense that, oh, my gosh, young voters, this must be the year. But if you do, you know, if you take the focus off those sort of, you know, high profile events that tend to draw the the activists, the politically engaged folks, and you do a national cross-section, right, where you get mm-hmm. a, a truly representative sample of young people, uh, then, you you know, that that effect is is really not there. And it's it's um, kind of, you know, again, it's a reality check that um, it's it's easy to think it's the, the year of the, the young voter, but we, we really don't see it when we take a breath and do a national look. Hmm. So let me get a sense from both of you on this, but Courtney, I'll start with you. So the president has been in office for close to a year and a half now. Um, He's somebody who's a very polarizing figure. A lot of people love him. A lot of people don't like him at all. I just wonder in the last year and a half, when you look at polls, and, and a lot has happened in the last you know, year plus, whether it's like the firing of Jim Comey or pulling out of the Paris Climate Accord or undoing regulations, all sorts of things have happened. Do you feel like people have changed their views when it comes to President Trump and the Republican Party or surprisingly not so much? I would say it's it's the latter. Certainly some okay. people have changed their views, but mm-hmm. um you know, do you see a massive migration away from um, support for the administration or support from the Republican Party? No, no, mm-hmm. we, we definitely don't see that. And Fred, do you share that view of like people are kind of where they were about 18 months ago? Yes, I, I absolutely agree with Courtney. And I think, um, you know, look, um, I'm a, as you mentioned at the beginning, I'm a Democratic pollster. 
but I'm also uh, to do my job right. I need to I'm try to be a try to analyze the data and the reality in a nonpartisan way, right? I mean, I have my hat right. I wear, but right. it sh I should try to be sort of down the middle in, in the way I think and analyze things. And I think to me, one of the fascinating things is, you know, people talk about the Trump vote. And I actually think um, that is kind of a misnomer because I believe there will, quote unquote, be a Trump vote, even if there's not a Trump presidency. And I, I, I think that, um, for example, uh, you know, everyone... Um, makes a big to-do, as we should, that President Trump's approval rating is the lowest since Harry Truman. It's among the lowest in recorded polling history. That's absolutely right. He's a very polarizing figure. But I, I do think, um, and this is you know, um, as much about our culture and our society as it is about our politics, I think we're clearly in an era in which you are clearly on one side or the other. So, you know, back in the um, glory days of, of our republic, when you had an LBJ or a JFK or an Eisenhower with 75%, 80% approval ratings, you mm -hmm. only get that um, high when you get the opposition party to give you good ratings. President Obama didn't get great ratings from Republicans. President Bush mm -hmm. didn't get great ratings um, um, from Democrats. Now, I think mm -hmm. President Trump has taken that to a new low, but, um, mm -hmm. you know, um, the, pre the Trump presidency and his approval ratings and image, that could be not just Donald Trump. It could be sort of what the new normal is in our country in which people are so divided along partisan lines. Um, and in the political, in the polling for um, clients, for people who are aspiring to win a House district or whatever um, this year, do you feel like every district is its own ecosystem? Or do you feel like, I mean, I've heard Charlie Cook, who who writes the Cook Political Report, say, you know, when there's a wave, one of the strange things is at the end, almost every one of the dominoes falls the same way. Like, you don't you don't think that would happen. But all these all these toss up races strangely break exactly the same way. So I, I just wonder if do you feel like you're going into this like every different uh, area is different or the, the mood of the country pervades somehow. Can I give you a typical pollster answer that aggravates my clients, which is both. <laughs> sure. <laughs> so, no. Okay, uh, okay. I would say, um, yes, I, I believe that um, there are structural dynamics, national trends that will have an impact on the 2018 election, just like, um, honestly, okay. in 2014, the unpopularity of President Obama um, at the national level hurt Democrats' individual seats. I like the wave okay. theory, Kara, because I think, yes, there's a wave, there's waves in, in politics. But I think it de depends, then you, you look at the individual district. It, whether you are in a district that's sort of high ground or whether you're in a district that's low ground. If you're a Republican mm -hmm. in a low ground district, you're gonna be t blown away by the wave. If you're a Republican mm -hmm. in a high ground district, you may get wet. <laughs> Uh, it may be uncomfortable, but you may survive. Mm -hmm. And I think, um, mm -hmm. I, no, I do believe in the wave theory in politics, but I think to say, you know, District 1 is the same as District 435, I don't think that's correct. I do think there, um, again, if you're a high ground or low ground, I think that can make a difference. Courtney, uh, give me a sense of how polling is changing and how you think it may look in 10 or 20 years. Like if you think about the trends that you're seeing how do you feel like it's changing? Sure. There's two really important trends that I'm seeing. 
you know, it used to be you had to have a lot of capital, a lot of knowledge uh, to be a pollster, brick and mortar, Mm -hmm. call shops. I mean, you really had, it was a a small group of people who really knew what they were doing by and large, right? Okay. That is completely gone because of the technology that's come online between automated phone polls, the interactive voice response where it's an automated message, right, which are very low cost, very easy to, to push out. And now polling that can be done on the internet with essentially convenient samples very quickly, very cheaply. So what we're seeing is that um, increasingly you see a poll report, you know, a press release from a pollster you've never heard of. And those mm-hmm. of us in the industry have never heard of. And, the, you know, and it's another way of saying the barriers to being a pollster have kind of disappeared. And um, that, for some people, is is a good thing. Um, you have more voices in the discussion, but it brings a lot of concern as well because you have a lot of people putting out, you know, quote unquote, facts about these races, and it's not necessarily based on good methodology or, you know, a lot of expertise that people who have been trained in this and doing it for 20 years can bring to bear. So that's one thing. The second trend is this overall migration, fairly slow migration from phone polling, which was the dominant methodology for for several decades, um, towards online polling. And right now you see a mix. You see some pollsters do all of their work online, others do do phone. And I think we're going to probably continue to see that for a few more election cycles. Um, But uh, I think, you, you know, there's a pronounced trend in which Telephone interviewing is is fading away as, as pollsters mm. try to figure out how to how to do this online. Courtney Kennedy is the director of survey research at the Pew Research Center, and Fred Yang is a Democratic pollster and a partner at Peter D. Hart Research Associates. Courtney and Fred, thank you so much for your time. It was a pleasure. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure. I mentioned George Gallup at the beginning of this segment, who started the Gallup poll. He was the father of modern polling, and he got his start in Iowa in the early 30s during the Great Depression, when his mother-in-law ran for Secretary of State. Gallup did polling for her, and she became Iowa's first female Secretary of State. Gallup's obsession with accuracy made his work an industry standard, and perhaps to reinforce his objectivity, Gallup didn't vote for president. At least, not after 1928, when his candidate, Alfred E. Smith, lost the presidential election to one Herbert Hoover. 